It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 347 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called... Blizzard and Raven and Twitch, oh my. It is February 17, 2022, and this is Jen. And for those that missed the reference, because it's a little obscure, I guess, or at least a little bit old, I'm playing off the Wizard of Oz, where there's a part where the, I'm going to say adventuring party, um, goes uh, down a road or starts going down the road, and together they each say lions and tigers and bears, oh my, over and over. So I just thought it would kind of fit this a little bit. Um, Or maybe not. I don't know. It sounded fun to me at the time when I thought about it for the title of the show. I'm going to start off with a a few um, news article type things that talk about what's going on with Bobby Kotek or what he's done in the past. And I'll just go from there. So there's one from the Washington Post. And I'm not sure. It looks like uh, February 11 this was out, but I don't think I talked about it on the, the previous show. This article is titled Scorched Earth and Big Profits, How Embattled Gaming Titan Bobby Kotick Outlasts His Opponents. And it's got a picture of this guy. It looks like someone took a photo of him with him not noticing it until the last second. And there they are looking right at the camera. There's a couple of things in here. I, can, I don't want to read the whole thing because it's kind of long because it's the Washington Post. But there's, there's some stuff in here. So it starts off with this. In the early 1980s, Bobby Kotek, a University of Michigan undergrad who religiously studied the Forbes 400, co-founded a, a software company. Kotek didn't know anything about how computers worked, but his roommate, Howard Marks, did. Their idea was to make computers accessible to Luddites using a program they named Jane, which would simplify certain tasks on an Apple II. For those that don't know, a Luddite is someone that doesn't want to do anything with computers or other technology as such like that. So that's what it means. Some people may see it as offensive if they think it's referring to them, but I don't. I think it's just a simple description of people that don't want to mess with computers. You know, Kotek persuaded casino magnate Steve Wynn to invest, and the employees of their company called Arctronics included members of the university's computer science f- faculty. Kotek and his partners asked their employees to forego part or all of their pay in return for shares in the company. Court records show with Kotek thanking one hire for, quote, the confidence and dedication you have demonstrated by your deferral of salary for stock. It is appreciated and should prove rewarding. But Apple's next model made Jane obsolete, and the employees claimed their thousands of shares, each said to be, said to be worth $1 each, were in fact worthless. Quote, we felt that we had been lied to and perhaps cheated, said former employee John Wiserba. Five employees sued Arctronics and its principals in 1985. Records show Arctronics and the employees reached a settlement, but then the company claimed an agree- the agreement should not be enforced due to a, quote, mistaken assumption, end quote, about expected revenue. In 1989, a Michigan judge ordered Arctronics to honor the settlement at $17,000. But by then, Kotek and his partners had moved to Los Angeles, where he was in the midst of taking over a salvage a salvaged gaming company known as Activision. We know a little bit about that already. Yeah, so he didn't pay the first guys. (laughs) 
Then he moved. Bye-bye. Running away from problems. There's uh, a quote in here from one of Kotex's partners who says, Our intention was not to hurt people. Our intention was to start another company and become successful. Uh, this person added that he didn't recall specifics of the dispute, quote, and it turns out it was unfortunate for the original people. So that's where he got his start. Kind of dishonorable. It seems like he lied to the employees. It took a lawsuit. I mean, the, the court said, yeah, you got to pay him. And I don't think he paid him. So this goes back far. I mean, that's going back to like, what, 1985 or something like that, where he's been kind of shady with the people he works with. And the early enterprise with Kotech blazing towards profits while leaving behind a trail of aggrieved employees was a case study in his approach to business, which would well become, become well known over the decades that followed. That approach was on full display last month when Microsoft in an industry shifting mega deal agreed to purchase Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion with Kotech reportedly expected to leave his role as CEO after the sale closes, probably sometime next year. The purchase price, nearly as much as the $71.3 billion Disney recently paid for 21st Century Fox, showed the remarkable extent of Activision's overhaul since Kotech revived it from bankruptcy three days ago, and it has demonstrated why Kotech is revered by some as having one of its uh, one of the most prescient minds in business, yada, yada, yada. Okay, it goes on from there. And then we're talking about the board of uh, Activision Blizzard, I assume, uh, has continued to voice full confidence in Kotech even as the company faced accusations of being a toxic being called a toxic workplace for many of its 10,000 employees. State of California sued, the SEC is investigating. The Wall Street Journal recently alleged that Kotech failed to share sexual assault and other allegations with the board. More than 1,800 employees have signed a petition calling on Kotech to resign goes on from there. Court records reviewed by the Washington Post show that Kotech has engaged in years-long battles against enemies big and small, sparring with contractors for his Beverly Hills, California home and an attendant on his private jet who claimed Kotech fired her after she reported sexual harassment by another employee. He has brawled over sums of money far eclipsed by the cost of his cost of his lawyers. He's described uh but as a reluctant litigant who rarely files suits himself and whose lawyers defend him, quote, professionally and with determination. Uh, It just sounds like a really angry man that doesn't live up to his promises, in my opinion, at this point. And I'll leave you, you know, to read the rest of this. Everything will be, everything that I read off on Shattered Soulstone gets put into the show notes. So you'll be able to see it at ShatteredSoulstone.com. I'll read you another paragraph. If he leaves Activision Blizzard as expected next year, following the close of the sale, it will be with stock holdings currently worth around $400 million, reinforcing what was long recognized, who knows, to by those who know him even when he loses it's on his terms and there's more and i'll let you you know read that if you want to but it kind of paints the picture enough i think and then we've got an article from bloomberg law from the 15th of this month activision awaits crucial ruling on scope of sex harassment suit a judge is set to decide whether a lawsuit against activision blizzard inc over alleged sexual harassment and discrimination can include temporary workers who were not hired directly by the game maker a ruling that will determine the scope of the suit and the potential financial fallout for the company 
California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing brought suit against Activision in July and then filed an amended complaint in late August adding, quote, contingent or temporary workers, end quote, to its claims. Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Timothy P. Dillon will hear oral arguments on Activision's bid to exclude those workers from the lawsuit on Tuesday before ruling on the appropriate scope of the case. Dillon's decision will have a wide-ranging implications for the broader tech workforce where temporary workers are a growing subset, the in- said industry watchers. Uh, people are paying attention to this, someone said in this, and uh, workers hired through a staffing agency typically aren't protected by state and federal law the way that direct employees are, said Nathan Gibson, Senior Director of Risk Management at MBO Partners, a management operating platform for independent workers. It's unusual for non-employee workers to be included in harassment litigation, he explained, quote, but temp and contract workers often face the same types of issues as employees, he said. And there's a thing called joint employer liability where companies share a responsibility for workplace violations at affiliated businesses. It has been a hotly contested labor and employment law issue in recent years. At the federal level, several appeals courts have ruled that staffing agencies and their client companies can be jointly liable for discrimination and harassment against contingent workers. The DFEH, for its part, told the court that female contract workers were subjected to the same company-wide hostile work environment, including sexual harassment, assault, and discrimination as full-time employees. And of course, there's, you know, there's some state law things in here. Uh, state law requires the agency to give notice about the particular class it suspects subject to violations of the Fair Employment and Housing Act, but when DFEH told Activision in 2018 of its intent to investigate, it didn't indicate the investigation would extend to contingent or temporary workers, Activision argued in a February 7th filing. Because the DFEH didn't notify Activision in writing that it intended to pursue claims on behalf of the contingent workers, either in pre-suit investigation notices or initial complaint, it can't expand the case to include them to the amended filing, Activision said. So they're trying to get out of that, basically. Activision is trying to just make some of that go away. And I'll, I'll leave you f- to read the rest of it. There's a lot of stuff in here if you want to get into the weeds about lawyer stuff and things like that. But that's from Bloomberg Law. And then we have published on February 15 and then updated on the 16th, an article from CNBC titled Activision CEO Bobby Kotek quietly donated to super PAC backing backing ex-hedge fund chief's Senate bid, which is a mouthful of a title right there. I'll just read you a little bit of this. There's some uh, little key points at the top of the article, which I'll read because a lot of the rest gets very deeply into like how much stock and what the companies are called. And the companies are like random numbers with a letter after them that Kotech created. So that's going to be, I'm dyslexic. I don't do well with numbers and I don't want to screw this up too badly. So I'm going to read you the key points from CNBC. Activision CEO Bobby Kotek used a secret company to quietly donate to a committee backing a Republican former hedge fund chief's U.S. Senate run in Pennsylvania. That's one of the key points. The next one is the company donated $100,000 to Honor Pennsylvania, Inc., which is supporting former Bridgewater CEO Dave McCormick's effort in the race, according to a filing. And the last one, 
The donation from the LLC to the pro-McCormick PAC likely marks the most Kotech who has given to both Republicans and Democrats has ever donated to a political cause. So, you know, here he is. He doesn't pay his workers. He's trying to get out of the lawsuit from, you know, various institutions in California at the very least, if not more than that. So it's like, it to me, when I read this article over, it sounds to me like he was taking whatever money he wanted and like sticking it in this fake company or this company that's not fully a company or something like that and then using that to move money to pay people who are running for office I, I assume and it seems to me like someone doing that would have just more money than they knew what to do with so why is he not paying his workers very well hmm and then we have another one from the Washington Post I think I read one from the Washington Post a little bit earlier this one's about Raven uh, this one's titled, Activision Blizzard Employees and Management Clash Over Union Process in Zoom Hearing. And this was written, I'm not really sure exactly when this was written. It might have been today. The ongoing unionization push by a number of Activision Blizzard employees reached its next step Wednesday as workers and management for Activision-owned Raven Software argued in a National Labor Bo Relations Board NLRB hearing over their clashing definitions of who should get to vote on the form formation of a union. The latest battle is being held on Zoom over the next few days as the NLRB hears from both sides about what should be the relevant group of workers voting to unionize. Previously, workers in Raven's Quality Assurance Department announced their intention to unionize their own department, calling it the Game Workers Alliance. Now, the Game Workers Alliance, as I break from this article a bit here, does have its own Twitter account, so you can check them out if you want to see what's going on with them a little more rapidly than when this show comes out, I assume. Um, to continue, Raven's management has said that all employees at the company should get a vote on the formation of a union. A majority of votes, 50% plus one, is needed to form a union. Activision wants eligible the eligible voting group for a union election to be as large as possible, which labor lawyers say could dilute the number of union supporters. So this is union busting on Activision's part. In January, 34 quality assurance workers at Madison, Wisconsin-based Raven Software requested recognition of a union, but management did not voluntarily recognize the union by a late January deadline. A ruling on the hearing by the NLRB could take months, according to labor law experts. So Activision really is engaging in union busting. That's what they're doing. Most of the testers work on the popular game Call of Duty Warzone and had been working toward unionization for months. They said they were motivated by recent layoffs, excessive overtime, and low pay. Um, there's a quote here from someone from the Game Workers Alliance. I'll read that quote. The lack of transparency from management during this process, coupled with their refusal to come to the table with Raven QA workers, has been demoralizing, the Game Workers Alliance said in a statement shared with the Washington Post Wednesday. It's past time for Activision Blizzard to recognize that we, the workers, have organized our union and we're not backing down. Activision Blizzard told the Washington Post, this is an important decision that will affect everyone at Raven, and we believe that every eligible employee deserves to have their vote counted. We look forward to the NLRB's decision, which to me sounds like they want to dilute the group that wants to have a union as much as possible by, you know, pushing in people who maybe just aren't interested or don't care, or maybe they're already planning to leave and come to another company or something like that. And that's union busting. I don't think it's legal. Uh, the Washington Post haven't, hasn't specifically said so, but big companies will engage in these kinds of shenanigans because 
they're awful, I guess. I don't know why anyone would put up the effort to do that. I mean, if I had, if I was like the head of a huge company and we had tons of money and had, and I had so much money, I could spend a bunch of it on random people running for office or something like that. Um, I think I really want my workers to have a good experience at work, but you know, here we are. And it goes on from here. Here's a little bit about what apparently happened in the Zoom call. Activision presented its argument first, displaying an illustration that showed Raven's organizational chart from when the quality insurance testers were a separate department, along one where the testers were included as part of every department. To get back to um, to, to break that for a minute, they split up what was left of the uh, Raven Studios people and started sticking them on different teams away from each other. And I've seen a number of people on Twitter kind of talk about this and note that they're, if they're splitting them up, it's making it harder for them to talk about unionizing or what the next step would be or when they're going to have like a meeting or that sort of thing. So that's a problem as well. Um, to continue with this paragraph, the company reorganized its quality assurance department January 24 during an internal meeting shortly after its workers announced their intentions to unionize. So this too is union busting. That's what Activision is doing. Okay, in the, de- in the days leading up to the hearing, workers have accused management of sending anti-union messages and videos in internal discussion boards and meetings. Last Friday, Raven Management held a meeting with employees to discuss how the union could affect work conditions. Raven workers told The Post, The Washington Post, where I'm reading this from. Senior Director David Pellis said in a meeting that unions could limit the amount of overtime worked, which might affect the quality of a game upon launch. Pellis added he believed that unionization could lead to challenges, but wasn't sure what those were. Raven union organizers responded to the meeting in a February 11 public Twitter thread saying, leadership asked questions about all the bad things a union could do, but they failed to ask what good things a union could do. Asked about anti-union rhetoric, an Activision Blizzard spokesman said, In a statement to the Washington Post, all sides, union, company, and employees have the right to express their positions regarding the election. Our stance is that employees should get all the facts. We believe in and have clearly emphasized many times that we support the right of employees to decide whether or not to support or vote for a union without coercion from anyone. So it's going back and forth. Now, they're being helped by the Communication Workers of America, which um, helps people make unions, basically. And I'm going to move on to stuff they had to say about this. So this was on February 17. And I think this one is, let's see, what was this? Communication Workers of America at CWA. And they have a Twitter account called code underscore CWA. I'll read you a piece of this thread. Uh, the NLRB hearing on the at we are GWA Game Workers Alliance petition for a union election for Raven QA workers is currently underway. Although a supermajority have signed cards showing their support for the union, a hearing was necessary because Activision refused to recognize the union. Activision is using every procedural route possible to delay the vote in an attempt to undermine the workers. Management has presented a dishonest case around Raven QA workers' job descriptions and day-to-day workflow to prevent them from moving forward with their union election. Furthermore, Activision leadership refused to elaborate on specific complaints about compensation or other work-life balance issues and did not acknowledge equitable, inequitable pay gaps for Raven QA workers. Kind of goes on from there. There's some quotes from other people. And they do have a full statement that they put together in case you're not on Twitter. And it's also uh, got a comment from uh, Tom Smith, National Organizing Director at CWA, a statement from the Game Workers Alliance itself. The top part is from the 
uh, CWA, and I think a lot of that is in the tweets I've read, but I'll put both in the notes, so if you want to read one or the other, you can. There's something actually really cool that happened. There's a guy who is named Steve Saylor, and his Twitter account has him described as a blind gamer, and he does a lot of things regarding accessibility. He tweeted on February 15th, Achievement unlocked, be part of a dev team, and he has joined the team over at Raven Software as an accessibility consultant on Call of Duty, which is really, really cool. And he's got like a photo of himself with a hat with the Raven logo and a thermos with one and a like a hoodie that says dev team and has like a Raven logo on it. And I think that's really super exciting because I've kind of followed this guy for a while on Twitter and I know there's a streamer I watch sometimes that sometimes plays uh, games with Steve Saylor. He's very cool. He posted recently a video talking about why do we care about accessibility and it's very astute. Um, So I think he's going to be a really good fit and I can't wait to see how he's going to help people who have disabilities. Like for example, he is a blind gamer. He does have some sight, but not, you know, as much as maybe you or I would. And you know, how this, how things are put together for those with disabilities. I don't think he's only going to work on vision issues. I think he might work with like putting in subtitles for people that can't hear. Possibly these are some suggestions that maybe he could push forward if he chose to. And I think he's knowledgeable enough to know because he did put out a video recently talking about, well, this is how, you know, things are for people with these types of disabilities. And as you age, as everyone ages, you're going to have some disabilities. So why don't you want the world to be a better place for you when you get there? You know, that kind of thing. And it was... It's exciting. He's really cool. And I love when companies, you know, actually hire disabled people to tell you why the thing you want to do isn't really good for disabled people. And here's what you should do instead. And I think that makes the world better for everyone who wants to play video games. There's also something new called Weekly Standup. And it's got its own Twitter account at weekly underscore standup. And they wrote this on February 16th. Today, we are proud to introduce Weekly Standup, a Twitch show about workers' rights in the gaming industry, hosted by at underscore tech Jess, who used to be uh, Blizz Jess, so you've heard of her before, and an account called Espress Yo Beans. Uh, watch, their, there's a trailer. Um, the first episode's coming out on February 20th at 1 p.m. PST on Twitch, and there's a link to it. So I think that's going to be interesting. <laughs> and in the background, we have a spokesperson here talking. Just from I'm just looking at the screenshot of the little video that was posted by Weekly Standup. And there's also in the background, it says Activision Blizzard Strike. So... I think that that might be something to uh, to watch when it comes out. Speaking of uh, on Twitch kind of stuff, if you are if you're a Twitch streamer and you're using OBS, the uh, OBS Studio twenty seven point two is now out, and it res- it it does a lot of things. It's added support for uh, AGA video devices, um, source source blend modes like Photoshop, AV one encoding, updated CEF for Chrome ninety five and more and there's a link to all the release notes and downloads that you can check out if this is something you want to know about but the reason you care if you're a streamer using obs is you need to update to 27.2 before the end of february because as of february 28th you will no longer be able to connect your twitch account in any previous version of obs 
due to Twitch ending support for the old version 5 API. The only one that's going to work is this new uh, 27.2 version of OBS, so that's something to think about. So when you get to the 28th, you're not going, why is all my stuff broken? You know, this would be why. So you can fix that by just updating it before the 28th. Also speaking about Twitch, um, they've added a community safety update. What they're trying to do is remove usernames that break their policies. And in specific, they no longer want usernames on Twitch. Even if you're not a streamer, even if you're a lurker or someone who just you know visits a couple of streamers you like once in a while or whatever, they don't want usernames that violate their community guidelines. And that includes hate speech, threats of violence, or personally identifiable information. And they're also now going to remove reported usernames that fall into the following categories. Category one is references to sexual acts, arousal, fluids, or genitalia. And two is references to hard drugs, excluding alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana. So you can talk about marijuana, alcohol, and tobacco. You could put something like that in your username. But if you go with other drugs that aren't on that list, as Twitch thinks is okay to you, you have in your username, you might run into trouble if they find your name or if someone reports it. As far as the sexual acts, arousal, fluids, or genitalia thing that Twitch does not want in a username, I've seen this happen a few times where some rando will come into some streamer's chat and it's typically a woman that's streaming and will put together a series of words that look just normal and boring on their own. Now, most or many Twitch streamers, if someone new pops up in the chat and says hi or something or leaves a comment or you know starts talking um, or follows, they're going to say, oh, hey, so-and-so followed. Hey, that's great. And they'll read off the username. So if it's something that's like regular words, but when said out loud, sound very sexual... It's something that, you know, some jerk is trying to do to fluster the streamer or to make them angry and this sort of thing. And it's uncomfortable, not just for the streamer. And I don't stream, so I haven't had this happen. But um, it's uncomfortable for the streamer. It's uncomfortable for people in the streamer's, you know, chat. (laughs) And, you know, it's just not necessary. So this is one way that Twitch is going to prevent that from continuing to happen. Now, right now, if your username is a clear violation of their community sta- uh, community guidelines for a username, you will have to do a username reset. It's especially if your name is a reference to hard drugs or sexual conduct. If your name is kind of, eh, that's almost on the line of that, but not quite, they're going to ask you to uh, pick a new one either way. If your existing username violates the new policy, but isn't a clear violation, same thing. Your account, well, a little bit different. Um, Your account will be flagged for reset and locked until the username is changed. So they have it set up so that if you're a streamer and your name is falling under those two new policies of thou shalt not, then you won't lose everything. You can change your name and you're going to be able to keep your account history, your subs, your follows and bits And once you change your username, you can resume using the account with no strikes applied. So this is just to have people go, you know, people will look at this and and learn, okay, there is a new policy. Twitch thinks my name is not okay because it's breaking one or both of those things. So I'll just switch it. On that note, if you've got all your branding around that name and all of your emotes and stuff around that name, it 
you might have to be you know doing some extra work to change those as well but they're not specifically looking for those yet they're just looking for the username and if you intentionally try to create a new username that violates this new policy they have some kind of machine learning going on that will make you create a different name instead so just a heads up that's happening on twitch and now we get to move on to blizzard stuff there's a lot of jobs that are there for blizzard um and they've been they're looking for people to come work with them so if that's your thing if that's been your dream and you want to work for blizzard here's some options for you there's a job titled lead content designer unannounced project it's hard to say what exactly that's intended to be you know it might be part of the unannounced project that i think i talked about last time but maybe it's a different one it's not real clear but they're looking basically for a lead content designer to join their crew for that specific job there's another job uh, a couple of jobs one's for an associate brand manager and one's for an, a relationships manager and there's also a community manager and these are all within the diablo uh games that's where they are. So one of them, Brand Manager, Global Publishing, Diablo. And then we've got a Relationships Manager, that's a Global Publishing, or Influencer Relationship Manager, Global Publishing, Diablo. And then we have the other one is um, Associate Brand Manager. There's that one, and that's Global Publishing, Diablo. And I think I got them all now, so that might be it. No, there's another one. There's a Game Audio one. Um, they're hiring a senior sound designer on the Diablo 4 team. So you might want to check that out if you know how to do that stuff and you want to work for Blizzard. And there is a description of this. The team name is Diablo. The job title is senior sound designer Diablo 4. And it's got, you know, all the requirements and things like that in there. So if you're looking for a job at Blizzard, there's quite a few to choose from right now and to apply for. And good luck to all of you that want to give it a shot. The other cool thing that happened is the official Blizzard gear store is back and it's live. This was tweeted out by the Blizzard Entertainment Twitter account and they used a picture of the statue of Lilith to get people interested in taking a look at it. And it's got a bunch of stuff in there. I went through and kind of like skimmed it. But there's a thing from Blizzard specifically that's showing off the, the Lilith statue and some pins and... Uh, Lich King statue and stuff like that. But if you click through to the store itself, it's got, you could shop by game. So it's got little icons here for World of Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, Starcraft, and then it says shop all games. And I've just got this set to shop all games for now, but I'm going to move it to Diablo and tell you all the good stuff that's in there. So there's a series of collector pins of Blizzard Series 8. There's uh, Platinum ones for Series 8. Those are a bit more expensive than the other ones there's a blizzard series 8 blind packs five pack set uh, those are pins as well there's the lilith statue there is a diablo immortal logo that is a collector's edition pin for 25 dollars. there's a jinx prime evil gray fatigue jacket it's got um on the back it's got it's looks similar to me like if you have the t-shirt that's Got the poem on the back. I can see what you cannot. That one. Uh, it kind of looks like that might be sort of what the design is based off of on the on the back of the jacket. It's kind of faint, though. Um, there's a Diablo 4 Barbarian, I don't know, design. And it's a red shirt. And then there's a Lilith Returns one. These are This one's a Jinx shirt. 
and it's got stylized Lilith kind of thing on the front. There's a Jinx skull and Rune's black hoodie where that appears to be the design on the front. And it looks like the skull that the Lilith statue is holding. So it's kind of got that look to it. There are uh, desk mats. There's like a beanie with the Diablo 4 logo on it. There are glasses with the Diablo 4 logo on it. There's another hoodie in here. Um, I can't even tell what's on that. It says Diablo 2 Resurrected. It's hard to tell from looking at the image what that is. And then there's books. The Book of Adria is in there. If you haven't read The Sin War, they've got at least two of those. One, two, let's see. Birthright's the first one. That's in there. Scales of the Serpent. That's the second one. I don't know if the third one's in here. I didn't see it. But they have that. And there's, uh, there's a puzzle of the Lord of Terror. And there's uh, the Art of Diablo book, which I have. There's a hat with a... It's a black hat with black embroidery with the D4 logo. So it's really hard to see that one, in my opinion. There's a Diablo 2 Resurrected Collector's pin for 20 bucks. There's a pin with uh, some of the Diablo 4 classes. A couple other t-shirts in there. One's Diablo Resurrected for sure. There's, um, I think that one's, yeah, there's one woman's t-shirt specifically, and it's got the skull that Lilith holds, but it's in white so you can see it better. And then there's uh, the birth of the Nephilim. When they started talking about Diablo 4 and they put out all their information and pictures, there's this like very painterly looking thing with Lilith standing in the middle, and you've got demons on one side and human looking groups on the other side and it's it's very like renaissance kind of looking in my opinion so there's that and there's also a huge canvas well 16 by 20 foot canvas of the diablo 2 resurrected kind of the box that you typically see that's what they've got in there right now if you play other games you can go and check it out if you're only interested in like just books or just pins or whatever there's a thing on the side where you can select to just see those and nothing more but it's there it's back and it looks like they're just taking, like, um, you can't, you cannot use your, like, battle net money or whatever's in there. I know that. So it's a little different. It's got some cool stuff I think some people will like. And it, it kind of depends on, like, if you need more t-shirts or hoodies, I guess, with some of the rest. There's also been stuff from the Diablo community that I noticed in the last week on Twitter. So Rex Antarax posted... The North America Challenge Rift 243 North, uh, North America Guide on Reddit, r slash Diablo 3. He's got that one in there if you want to check that out. He's got the Europe one, the Challenge Rift 243 EU Guide, also on Reddit, r slash Diablo. Debrunsky has a YouTube video called Ranking the New Level 85 Areas. It looks to be a Diablo 2 video. He's got the logo in there, the Diablo 2 Resurrected one. So you can check that out if you... Want to see what he had to say about that. He's also got, uh, he's ranked all of the new, quote, new patch 2.4 builds in this other video for Diablo 2 Resurrected. And um, whoever did the art for these is amazing. So it's colorful and bright and it's got pieces of the game and the characters all together in the front. And it's pretty cool. And then um, I'm going to mispronounce this. Zitmus or Ixmus, uh, X-T-I-M-U-S. That's the Twitter account name, and he was, uh, I don't see any pronouns, so this person was streaming and randomly streaming on YouTube and made this video, and it's a random stream. You could see the Necromancer in it and the Diablo 2 logo behind him, so there's, there's a stream if you want to check that stream out that uh, they were playing, and that's really all I have for right now. 
it's kind of a lot. It's kind of a mixed bag, but that's why I named the show kind of, you know, a little weirdly because I didn't know how to cover all of that in one little title, but that's where we're at. And uh, that's it for now, so I'm going to close out the show. You have been listening to episode 347 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game, our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3 both named are both named Shattered Soulstone and are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.